When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. And I'm Sam Abual Sandwich from Guidehouse Insights. And Rebecca is off today taking, taking care of her mom. Uh, so she'll be back with us on the next episode. Which we've so, already recorded previously. Yeah, exactly. She'll be back with us in the next episode, which we did the last time. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we get too far into it, um, we have had a few more uh, Patreons sign up. So uh, let's see. The, the new ones, new folks that we haven't mentioned. I, I just it's It feels nice to me to give them a little shout out. Um, yeah, it's here. always a good thing to recognize our supporters. Yeah, in the beginning of the show. Um so let's see. We had Stephen, Adam, Gareth, William. Um, looking to see. I think those are the folks that jumped in uh, since the last show. So thank you. We are up to twelve active patrons a month. So there's still plenty of room for everybody else to pile in. Uh, oh, Ethan and Joseph as well. Um, wanted to to make sure that we got everybody in there. Um, so. There's again, there's there's a few things coming. It is holiday season, so it's busy and we're trying to put everything together. Uh, but I'll have a few more uh, hours to devote to it um, in the next couple of weeks. So uh, stay tuned. There's some more fun stuff um, coming and certainly feel free to, to ask for things. <laughs> yeah, if you've got um, suggestions for you know anything special you'd like for just for patrons only, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just happy to send out some old school uh, thumb drives or something <laughs> from automakers. If you, if you if you want if you want a thumb drive with every episode of uh, of wheel bearings oh, on it, we can do great that for idea. you. Yeah, um, I it's funny. I'm sure you get a bunch of them too. Uh, but the thumb drives with the press kits and stuff. Um, and back when they were doing auto shows, like a year ago now. Uh, that was sort of the most convenient way to get everything. They'd have the press kit with the photos and the press releases and everything on it and just snag one and, and then you get a cool little thumb drive. And sometimes they're really fun designs. So I have some neat ones through the years. I have one that Nissan did that looks just like a Nissan key fob, but it's um, a little smaller and it's it's <laughs> solid metal. So it's kind of a weapon. Um, and then I've I got some one... nice transparent glass ones. Oh, nice. Look really cool. Um, I have a Saab one. from. Ooh, the, that's from old the... school. From the Turbo X launch. So that's um, probably what, about uh, 64 kilobytes on that? Uh, it's 512 <laughs> megs, I think. Um, <laughs> but it's it's shaped like the old school Saab, you know, the like the original Saab uh, model and uh, like the Saab 92. Um, and yeah, it, so that one I still have kicking around. So there's a few things and I'm, I'm happy to just, you know, 
wipe them and jettison them. I don't think that all of the episodes of Wheel Bearings <laughs> fit on just 500 and something megabytes, but uh, they're not that big. So uh, we'll have to send you two at that point. <laughs> I'll, snag, I'll snag one of those. Like GM did some that were like a credit card that like have this. Yeah, yeah there's. Like, I've got a, a bunch of those. Uh, BMW did use those same ones uh, for several years. I've, I've got a few of those as well. So, and uh, I've got one, a Mopar one that's shaped like a spark plug. Oh, I have a uh, one from the Dart launch. That's it's it's like a Dart. It's you know. It's oh, got sweet. The, yeah. Um, so there's some <laughs> some cool things. Um, I'm happy to clean house and send it to you. So it can be in your house missing it. Uh, but before we uh, start talking about uh, wheel bearings products, um, we should probably just talk about the podcast. So let's jump into what we're driving. And I'm going to follow up with some more CT5 thoughts. So Sam, you've been more interesting this week. You had the, the 2021 Volvo XC60 T8. And well, let's start there and we'll leave your, okay. your second car as a surprise. All right. So, yeah, the, the XC60, which we've talked about before uh, on, on a few occasions, um, the, for, 20, for the 2021 model year, uh, its name has been revised somewhat um, for the, the plug-in hybrid version. Previously, the plug-in hybrid was just referred to as the XC60 T8. Uh, it's now the XC60 Recharge. So uh, Volvo is apparently... Uh, decided to use the recharge brand on all of their plug-in vehicles, whether they're plug-in hybrids or battery electric. So the the battery version of the XC40 is the XC40 recharge, the uh, XC60, XC90, and and all the other models that have plug-in hybrid powertrains are also called recharge. And the the one I had, the full complete name is the 2021 Volvo XC60 Recharge T8 Polestar Engineered, which it's not twin engine hybrid. It just that's not <laughs> no, no, they're not using the twin engine thing anymore on there. Um, but uh, Polestar Engineered uh, means it's the more performance oriented version, um, which doesn't actually have any more actual performance relative to any other variant of the plug in hybrid XC60, uh, but it does have really bright yellow seat belts. And um, and and uh, big twenty-one inch uh, alloy wheels with huge um, rotors and bright yellow Brembo calipers on there. So the the brakes and, and actually the cross-drilled rotors, by the way. Um, so thought, wow, really still doing cross-drilled these days? That's... Oh yeah, yeah. On, on the on the really big stuff. Not not that something like the XC60 really needs cross-drilled rotors. I mean, it's quick, but it's not. You know. It, Nobody's going to drive this thing in a way that uh, that you need those kind of brakes. But when you've got these big, gorgeous open wheels and your brakes are extremely visible, you might as well, you know, go all in and, and make them look cool. Well, um, it keeps brakes squeal down, right? It's uh, sure. <laughs> maybe a little bit. Not, I don't think it makes. I mean, not that these brakes squealed. So, I mean, it, it, but in general, it doesn't really make much difference. Um it's it's more for heat dissipation for uh, oh yeah of course you know for for getting that that hot air that builds up um, you know right around the pads you know to help vent that out of the way away from that interface between the the brake pad and the rotor but as I said the average XC60 driver is probably not going to be driving this thing in a manner that would justify having those kinds of brakes um, but nonetheless you know the the 
the Volvo plug-in hybrid powertrain is a very nice powertrain. 415 horsepower, 460 some odd pounds-feet of torque. Um, it has the the two-liter uh, twin-charged engine, so it's supercharged and turbocharged. Uh, driving the front wheels through an eight-speed automatic transmission and then an electric motor at the rear um, and a lithium-ion battery pack down the down the center tunnel that uh, is officially rated at 19 miles per ga- or sorry 19 miles of electric driving capability. Um, I actually in my test that I ran in a mixed cycle test uh, around some urban and suburban um, roads around this area. Got 21 miles before the battery was completely depleted. Um, the uh, the tires that came on this thing, you know, it com- it comes with summer tires, um, standard. Uh, you can get all, I think you can get uh, all season tires, but this one had uh, Pirelli P0s, um, 21 inch P0s, which- In December? Uh, <laughs> <That's>... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> December in Michigan. Mm. By this point in the year, usually by the time you hit Thanksgiving- um, it's a good idea to, you know, swap out the tire, you know, swap out those summer tires for some winter tires. Um, for the first several days, it was great. Um, and then we got some snowfall and, uh, it was not so great. Uh, but, uh, you know, once, once the snow melted the next day, it was fine. Uh, but you definitely, definitely need to be careful driving around, um, in winter weather conditions, even on dry pavement when it's cold you lose a lot of grip. You know, summer tires, when you get below about 40 degrees Fahrenheit ambient temperature, the rubber starts to get really hard. It's not as pliable and yeah. um, you, you lose a lot of grip. So even if the, the, even if there's no snow, just if it's just cold, you're not going to have as much grip, which means you're going to have longer stopping distances. Um, your cornering's not going to be as good. So it, if you have a vehicle with summer tires and you live somewhere where temperatures get below 40 degrees, get a set of winter tires. Yeah. They can be really spooky. Um, when it's, when the temp gets too low, like even if it's dry. Yeah. (laughs) And, 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 you know, so, I mean, I took extra care, you know, when, when driving it, you know, because I, I know what they're capable of, um, and wanted to make sure I didn't get into any trouble with it. Um, but you know, the, the, um, like other modern Volvos, you know, it's got multiple driving modes. Uh, there's a little knob on the, or a little roller controller on the center console. So you can pick between pure mode, which is, you know, keeps you in, in EV mode. Um, and the, the setup in this, uh, thing, you know, the, the electric motor is on the rear axle. It's about a hundred horsepower electric motor. And, you know, if, if when you're driving around town, that's, with the torque that you have from that thing, it's actually quite adequate for driving around. I mean, you're not going to be able to, you know, do jackrabbit starts off the line uh, with that, you know, on electric only. But you can, you know, you can get more than adequate uh, acceleration out of it uh, for for just driving around town. Uh, and that's what I did, you know, when I did my my range test is I just put it in pure mode and drove it around. And you can drive it up to about uh, 80, 85 miles an hour on electricity alone. It's not too bad. Yeah. I mean, it'll take you a little longer to get there. Uh, but then when you put it in, um, in the sport mode or I forget what they call their sport mode. Um, you know, there, there's the hybrid mode and then there's the performance mode. Um, when you put it in performance mode, you know, you get everything, you know, the full 415 horsepower. And this thing is actually quite quick. 
surprisingly quick. Well, so there was a time too, by the way, where Volvos weighed what the XC60 does and they only had 100 horsepower. <laughs> yes. <laughs> From a, you know, was, by that point, it was probably a 2.3 liter Ford, but it was still naturally you know, aspirated with a carburetor. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So um, they're staying true to their roots. <laughs> yeah. But it, this is a lot quicker, especially, I mean, even if it doesn't have extra performance enhancement from Polestar for the, the performance of the engine, it, it's, yeah. Volvos are not slow anymore. No, definitely not. Um, and, you know, I mean, and if you want the best performance from a Volvo these days, you know, you definitely want the plug-in hybrid. That's that's mm-hmm. the most powerful version. The last, the last one I drove was the, uh, I think, Earlier this summer, I had a V60 uh, Polestar engineered. And, you know, so basically the same, you know, same powertrain, same platform, except it sits a couple inches lower than the XC60 does. And, you know, it's a little sleeker looking. Um, and personally, if I was buying, I would take the V60. I, I, I don't need the extra ride height. You know, I would go for the V60. But, you know, if like most Americans, you're more enamored with, uh, crossovers these days than station wagons. You know, this is, you're not, you're not, you're not losing much with, with this thing. Um, you know, great seats. You know, we've complained bitterly about, uh, about the Volvo census infotainment and, you know, that's going to be on its way out over the next couple of years as, as the current generation of products get uh, replaced with next generation, they'll all be getting the new, um, Android automotive based infotainment system that launched on the Polestar 2 and is also in the XC40 recharge and the, the battery version of the XC40. Um, and that should be a lot better. Um, it's generally gotten you know pretty positive reviews so far in the Polestar and, and the XC40. Um, the, uh, the only real downside of, uh, of the, uh, the Polestar engineered XC60 uh, is it's not inexpensive. Uh, it's not, you know, for for this performance level, you know, and for premium mid-sized SUV like this, uh, it's not ridiculous. You know, at seventy-one thousand one forty, uh, including delivery, it's but, got some options. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, when you go when you get the Polestar engineered, you know, you're basically loaded. You know, it's got everything in there. Because uh, it starts at fifty-three. 53.5 yeah. for the XC60 recharge. So that's not terrible. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can live without the, the big yellow calipers and, uh, yeah. And the summer tires on 21 inch wheels, you know, if you can, you know, go with 18s, I think are on the, the standard one, you know, it's going to be just as quick, uh, you know, might in, in, you know, in, uh, twisty roads, it might not handle quite as well, but it's going to be close enough that you're probably not going to notice the difference. Yeah, and, I quite honestly don't expect that anybody is going to really notice the difference. The biggest yeah. difference with the the larger wheels and tires is the ride gets crappier. Yeah, and that is the that is the other downside of the Polestar engineered. And I noted that when I talked about the V60 Polestar engineered, uh, is the the ride quality is definitely stiffer. You can you can feel the difference in ride quality. Um, so, you know, aside from that though, I mean, it's it's a lovely vehicle. Yeah, Volvo does a really good job making their cars feel special. The design is really unique. It's something that they've managed to stake out. So, you know, they're really, like you say, they're lovely in a lot of ways. Um, I expect that the the SPA platform is getting a little tired. They've kind of gotten about as much as they can out of it. And I know that they're going to replace it soon with the second generation 
So some of our complaints will probably be addressed at that point. Um, infotainment for sure, but also just the, the ride and handling of it. Uh, it seems like there's just some inherent stiffness uh, to the ride of any SPA car that uh, will eventually get sort of smoothed out when they go after uh, revising the platform more heavily. Yeah, we'll we'll probably see the the new XC90 um, by this time next year. It, it's supposed to launch in 2022, um, and that's going to be on the SPA2 architecture. Uh, so you know, it's it's only about a year away from being replaced, and then over the next couple of years after that, you know, the rest of the lineup will get replaced as well. Yeah, and uh, you know the the move to making all of their electric stuff, no matter whether it's plug-in or just full EV, the move to making it be called, you know, naming it all recharge, I think is actually pretty smart because it's just, it's much more consistent. And when you go to the Volvo website, they're, they're pushing all of their electrified models more so than non-electrified. So you, you and I know that everything's going to be electrified very soon anyway, if it, if it isn't already. Um, but they kind of bury the gas models or the, the non-recharge stuff. Uh, so you go to the page and the first, like it just loads up and it's, it's all just the recharge models with the XC40, um, EV kind of featured prominently. So it seems like they really want to make sure that you tie recharge and Volvo and electrification together. And so it's a pretty smart move to make sure that it's consistently branded. I, I like that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, of the, the premium euros, they've kind of staked out a territory that not everybody else has, you know, BMW and Mercedes. I, they're kind of Mercedes, not as much, but BMW seems to be going through a time (laughs) (laughs) where I'm not sure if they're sure what they want to do. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just a personal opinion. I don't know. Yeah. I think, you know, um, they've been kind of making a, BMW has been making a shift uh, also towards more electrification, you know, putting more plug-in hybrid options in all their vehicles. Um, you know, over over the last few years, they seem to waver on the whole electrification thing. But in the lot, um, since their their new CEO came in about a year and a half or so ago, um, they you know they've recommitted to the electrification. So I think we're going to see plug-in hybrid and and battery versions of pretty much everything they build over the next several years. Yeah. So then they're all going that way. And that's, it's actually, it's quite good. Um, The driving experience seems like it's actually probably smoothed out by that electric motor in the XC60 in particular, um, because you're not working that engine as hard off, off the line. So it takes off strong and smooth. And then the engine can get into the, into the mix later. (laughs) Right. And and it can, it can fill in any, lumpiness you get in that transition between the supercharger and the turbocharger yeah and and that engine too like it's is powerful for its size it's not the most um what do i want to say it's it's not the most pretty sounding yeah it's just it's fine it's just it's it's a little growly um the power is good uh, but it's, I don't know, I'm actually surprised that they're using the twin charged version. They could probably get away with just the T5 here, um, which is it's still, it's like 250 horsepower. Uh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the strategy in, in general 
um, you know, from most of the European premium brands, uh, at least until fairly recently, was to use, you know, to put in the plug-in hybrid option and use that as more of a performance upgrade um, than, you know, rather than just purely for efficiency. Because, you know, the, the feeling was that customers, you know, especially in the premium segments, would be more willing to uh, pay the the cost premium, the price premium for that plug-in hybrid uh, more, you know, if, if they were getting extra performance from it in addition to the efficiency. And so I think that that's why they, you know, they went this way with this generation of vehicles. I think for the next generation, I think we might see them, we'll probably see them offer uh, more options. You know, they'll probably keep a performance, you know, a twin charged version with the plug-in hybrid uh, or actually more, more likely We'll see them use a, a more powerful electric motor and maybe step back to the uh, uh, to you know just the turbocharged or maybe even uh, you know the the lower power turbocharged version, the T five version, you know with two hundred and fifty horsepower and bump up the uh, um, bump up the the performance of the electric motor instead. So how's Volvo doing overall? Like, are they? It's a weird year, and I know that. They're, the U.S. isn't their only most important market. They're actually, I think, China is probably very important. Yeah, China is well. China is bigger for Volvo now. They're actually doing quite well in in China, um, and you know they're they're actually building quite a few vehicles in China now. Uh, so, like the the Polestar two, for example, the Polestar one and the Polestar two are actually both built in China uh, and exported from China uh, globally. Uh, so they're they're doing quite well uh, in China. I mean, they're they're owned by Geely. Um, you know, big Chinese uh, uh, automaker um, that also owns, you know, they've got a couple other brands, including Lincoln Co., um, which uh, is their newest brand, uh, which currently doesn't sell outside of China, but it will be expanding globally over the next several years as well. Uh, and the, uh, they're, they're sharing uh, Volvo's platforms, uh, the, two, the two platforms that they've got, the compact modular architecture that they use for the XC40, is also used for the Polestar 2, and um, it's it's being used for a couple of Lincoln Co. models. And I think the SPA2 platform is also going to be shared with various other Geely brands over the next couple of years. Uh, it's probably, I mean, that's pretty smart. We can talk just a little bit about how awesome everything that Geely is putting out there with all their brands seems to be. Like the, the Geely models themselves are really fantastic looking. I haven't, you know, haven't had any experience it's, it's with funny. them. But. <laughs> our, our, you know, my first exposure to, to Geely uh, was back in 2007 or 8 um, at the Detroit Auto Show. It was the first time that Chinese brands came to the Detroit Auto Show. And, it, you know, there was a couple of different brands down there, you know, including Geely. And their cars were just a joke. I mean, they were so atrociously bad you know they were unattractive but they were really poorly put together um you know they they just looked so so terrible and you know but everybody figured that sooner or later you know the chinese automakers were going to get their act together and you know within a couple of years after that geely had bought volvo from ford uh you know ford ford sold it off uh after the uh, um the recession and Geely has been a, an amazing steward for the Volvo brand. You know, they they've invested heavily in the brand um and 
you know, given them their own platforms. You know, they completely re-engineered them from the ground up. Uh, they've got great design. Uh, you know, new. Uh, they got new powertrains um, that were. You know, previously Volvo had been sharing powertrains with Ford. You know, they developed this new two-liter engine family uh, from scratch, and uh, and and they you know had both gas and diesel versions. The diesels were obviously never sold here. Uh, but, you know, and then they are sharing, you know, Volvo technology with some of their other brands like Lincoln Co., uh, which is, you know, Link, Lincoln Co. Is, is interesting because they launched that as a subscription only brand. So, you know, they're, they're not selling them and selling Lincoln Co. vehicles in the traditional way. They're they're doing it by subscription, uh, much like the uh, the Care by Volvo program that's available here in the U.S., uh, that they have. Yeah. On, and that's one the, of the few subscriptions that's kind of still hanging on. It's, really. it's one of the only ones that's actually working. Um, you know, the XC40 has been doing quite well with the subscriptions and the XC60 is available through subscription now as well. Uh, at least a couple of variants of it. So it's, uh, and also the XC90. Uh, so I think they're, they've learned a lot, you know, and they, they've been evolving their business model, evolving their products. And, you know, I think that they're, they're in a good place. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's good for them. We'll continue to see Volvos yeah. um, because all of the other stuff seems to be working. They're, they're, they're a pretty, uh, pretty decent juggernaut. I think they're one of the, one of the top kind of auto conglomerates in, in China that has, has it figured out. And I, I know there's, there's a lot of companies and brands that are going to come our way. In the next uh, decade, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be seeing more from from Chinese automakers. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It'll be interesting. Um, they definitely have a different way of of doing things. And for so many years, with the U.S. being the top market, we were you know our tastes and desires and stuff sort of dictated what the rest of the world got to a large degree. And and that seems to be maybe shifting a little bit because China is a larger market. Um, so I wonder what effect that's going to have on the cars that, that we see. So, yeah. So, if any. <laughs> yeah. So the, the other thing that I, I've had. Right. I was just going to move us on. You, so, the, you, uh, yeah. <laughs> Carry the, on. <laughs> the, I had the 2021 Toyota Corolla XSE. Um, and, you know, I Did had. it feel sporty? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you, if you want a sporty Corolla, I mean, you can get the Corolla hatchback, uh, right. which, you know, that's, you know, that's actually, a, there's a sportier version of that, <clears throat> but there's also, um, the SE trim level. You know, and if you want a sporty Corolla, uh, sedan, uh, you can still get the SE with a six speed manual transmission. Unfortunately, the, uh, XSE is only available with the, um, CVT. And so you get a, a two liter. Uh, direct injected uh, four cylinder, naturally aspirated, uh, 159 horsepower, uh, if I recall correctly, um, and uh, or sorry, 169 and 151 foot pounds of torque. So it doesn't have a lot of low end torque. The torque peaks at 4400 RPM. Um, you know, so one of the advantages, you know, with some of its some of the competitors to the like the uh, the Civic. Uh, to the Corolla, you know, the Civic, you have the 1.5 liter turbo, which is, that's what we have is we, we have a, a Civic with the 1.5 turbo and that's got really good low end torque. The two liter and the, um, and the Corolla is adequate, but it's, it's kind of lacking in low end torque. Um, 
which is problematic with the CVT because, you know, the CVT is going, you know, when, when you get into it, you know, try and drive, you know, with any kind of aggression at all, you know, it's going to rev the engine up, you know, to try and get it closer to that 4,400 RPM torque peak. And the engine kind of makes some noise at, at that speed. That's not necessarily <laughs> the most pleasant. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's not the most refined drivetrain. It's smooth, but it doesn't sound great. Um, and, you know, toy, the way Toyota does CVTs, you know, it's the more the classic motorboating control strategy uh, where, you know, it goes up, you know, revs up to a certain speed and just kind of hangs there as the vehicle accelerates, uh, which is, you know, that's kind of the, the CVT type control that most people don't really like. Um Aside from that, you know, the rest of it's really nice, you know, for 20, for the 21 model year, I had one of these last year. Um, and this year they upgraded the, um, the infotainment system. So it's now got support for Android auto. In addition to Apple CarPlay, uh, one odd little thing that I, I noticed, um, when I first got in and I went to hook up my phone, uh, you know, I looked around, there's, there's a wireless charging pad underneath the, uh, um, the dashboard. So at the front edge of the console, there's a little wireless charging pad area. Um, and I didn't see a USB port around. I opened up the center armrest in the, in the storage area there, found a USB port there, plugged it in. Hmm. Wasn't recognizing the phone. It was charging, but it was, wasn't recognizing it. And it turns out that's just a charging port. I actually had to go into the manual, um, and actually, wasn't even in the manual. I didn't find it in the manual. I actually had to look online to find that there's a second USB port that's up underneath the dash. So when you're when you're sitting in the driver's seat, you can't actually see it. You have to kind of lean over and look under to see it. So the plug's going to kind of go up and in to the huh. USB port, and that's the data port. So if you plug in your cable there and then plug in your phone, then Android Auto or CarPlay will work from that. Um but once once that was figured out, you know, it was fine. Um, you know, Entune we've complained about before. You know, it's <laughs> it's not a not a great user interface. Uh, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't look great. It's not terribly responsive. Uh, but you know, it's definitely better if you're using CarPlay or Android Auto. Um, you know, the Corolla, its driving dynamics. You know, the this current generation Corolla. Uh, you know, are quite good. You know, it's the TNGA platform that we've, we've spoken highly of in the past on various other vehicles. Uh, you know, so, you know, it handles and rides well. It's got, you know, decent steering feedback. Uh, it, the, you know, this thing is roomy, very surprisingly roomy for its size. Um, you know, back seats got lots, lots of space in there as well. Um, good size trunk. Uh, the design of the current generation Corolla uh, especially, you know, in a darker color like this one, I had the, um, what, is, what do they call this shade of blue? It's uh, blue crush metallic yeah. um, with, with black trim, uh, you know, and the the grill, you know, the, the large Toyota grill doesn't look quite so prominent uh, and that, you know, kind of blends in a little more. Uh, but even even on the lighter colors, you know, it's uh, the the way they've done the grill on the Corolla is not quite as uh, over the top as on some other Toyotas that we've discussed, like the Avalon. Um, but, uh, you know, right, the Avalon looks like it's just hungry. 
<laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's 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 a good car to drive, very fuel efficient. You know, I got 32 miles per gallon with it, um, which, you know, uh, considering it was quite cold, uh, you know, is, is quite more than acceptable. You can also get the Corolla with a hybrid. <clears throat> so it's basically the Prius drivetrain in there, um, which is, you know, is fine. Uh, you know, so with that, you get like 50 miles per gallon. Um, and you know, it's a good car, you know, it's a, it's a good, you know, basic car, uh, you know, that's not, not too, uh, insanely expensive, you know, the XSE trim level with, you know, leather seats and it's got nice contrasting blue stitching on the seats. Uh, you know, it's full, it's pretty much fully loaded, uh, 28,845 out the door, including delivery, but you can also get, uh, um, a base Corolla, you know, uh, starting at, uh, just over, tw- uh, let's see, 23,000 or no, sorry, nine for the L it's 19,925. So it's going to be 20, 21 grand with the delivery charge for the L, um, the, uh, um, hybrids, um, hybrid starts at 23, five. So, you know, that's actually a, a, you know, really good value for that. Um, and that's, uh, that's an LE trim level. So that's, you know, it's a step up. Uh, from the L, uh, and new for 21 model year, they have the SE Apex Edition, which, yeah, <laughs> yeah. blacked out trim, blacked out trim, spoiler on the trunk lid, a uh, little bit of a splitter on the front. Um, no, mechanically, it's the same as any other Corolla. Um, so it's, you know, it's still going to sound just as gnarly, uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it looks a little sportier. Although, you know, the, you know, like the SE, you know, uh, I think, you know, it looks just as good, if not better. Uh, you know, it's a little more uh, sedate than the uh, the Apex Edition, and I think that would actually be the one I would I would go for. I would probably get the the SE with the manual transmission if I was going to buy a Corolla. Uh, so, the, be- but the the SE has the smaller engine, right? It's got the one point eight with less less power. So it's funny they try to make it like feel sporty, but it's or maybe uh, uh, does it? I thought it had the smaller engine. No, I think no. It's a two liter. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, the the, the hybrid has a one point eight. Okay. Um, all all the the regular gas engine ones have the two liter. Okay, well that's not terrible then. Yeah. I I you know I wonder though like if it's even a good manual, <laughs> like. <laughs> um, you know. I I'm assuming I haven't driven driven it in the sedan, but I'm assuming it's the same one that's in the uh, the hatchback. Um, the sporty hatchback. Uh, and that one was pretty decent. It's not a great manual, but it's, it's, it's fine. You know, and I think it's going to be generally a more pleasant driving experience than the CVT just because, you know, like I said, with the the lack of low end torque from the engine, you know, the CVT is going to be making it work hard and it sounds like it's working hard. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's got adequate performance, but you know, it's, it's got to work to do that. So yeah, I but the Corolla, the Corolla has always been a solid car that you can sort of dispassionately recommend. Like I, this oh, yeah. does not sound like you were excited. I was, you know, I wasn't excited, but it also, you know, doesn't <clears throat> it doesn't annoy me? It doesn't turn me turn me off. Uh, you know, it was it was aside from the sound, it was pleasant enough to drive. Yeah, uh, you know, it, like I said, my personal preference would be you know the one five civic that with the turbo 
but you know, I like that extra low end torque. But I think for most people, the Corolla is going to be just fine. Most, yeah, you know, I think almost everybody's going to like it, you know, and not have an issue with it. But it almost also still seems like Toyota knows that they have a lot of equity in the name. And when you look around at the competition, even that Civic that you're talking about, but certainly from, from Hyundai and Kia as well, or, uh, you know, even the, the new Nissan Sentra, everybody's gotten very good. You know, none of those cars are bad. Uh, they're all priced really competitively and some of them feel nicer. You know, the materials are nicer. Um, I do think the Corolla actually goes down the road nice. I was shocked at how, yeah. how good well, its the, the steering cur- is. The current but- gen Corolla, you know, it's at least, you know, in the, the upper trim levels, you know, I, have, I haven't driven an L or an LE, so I can't <clears throat> can't comment on those. But, you know, uh, the XSE, the SE, you know, they they have really nice trim inside, nice materials. You know, it looks good, feels good. Um, you know, one of the things I do like, really like about the, the current gen Corolla is the belt line. When you look at it in profile, the, the belt line dips down towards the front and it's mm-hmm. actually, uh, you know, and then right at the front edge of the door kind of um, tilts back up again. And what that does is it, um, you know, at your front corners, when you're looking to the front front quarters, um, the belt line is actually nice and low. So you actually have much better visibility, you know, so rather than just having a straight horizontal line across the bottom of the glass, it's actually cut down more kind of, you know, in a, in a similar kind of way to, you know, what you find, you know, on the Ford F-Series trucks, you know, where it's got that notch at the front, you know, so the, the glass dips down further. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously a different take on that, but, but having that curve at the bottom of the glass on the front doors, you know, makes it feel like the belt line is lower overall, gives you better visibility. It feels more open. So that's something I actually really like about the, the uh, current Corolla design. And I think overall, I really like the design of this Corolla. I think it's a really handsome, uh, handsome looking car. It's, I think it's, you know, the, by far and away the best looking Corolla ever. Yeah. I, well, I don't know about the best Corolla ever, but it, it does. It looks good. There's a long, cer- it, certainly the best Corolla in decades. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll say that um, for sure. Yeah, if you go back to like the A86, to- you know, from the early eighties, you know, that's, you know, That'd be a different right. story, but but that's a different different era too. Did yeah. you just have the black roof? Uh, um, uh, no. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean it can be it can be sharp in XSC trim, and it has uh, overall, you know, the Corolla has the Toyota Safety Sense package, mm-hmm. standard equipment and stuff. So it's it's always that good car, like as a first car or just as a you know sort of solid choice that you don't if you don't want to shop for cars because we all know how much fun that experience is you could just get a corolla and it's it's one of those things like you know it's going to be fine it's gonna it's it's gonna work it's gonna be reliable it, it still is all of those things so um yeah i mean you're good at, you're always going to get great customer service from toyota um you know something needs to be fixed you know i mean they're generally going to be very reliable if, if something does need to be fixed they're going to take care of it quickly um you know, it's you really can't go wrong very much with a Toyota. Yeah, and it does it does drive drive decently well. I did yeah. I did find that it was actually fun to um, the last curl I had was earlier this year, and I, I found that it was it was fun to ring it out a little bit. And I I honestly can't remember whether I had the manual or not, but um, 
it's it's one of those. I don't want to say it's fine and move on. It's a good car. It's, it's, it no, doesn't, it, maybe it, doesn't it get is, a it is an excellent. It, it, yeah. It's an excellent car. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, the only thing I take issue with really is the, um, you know, just kind of the engine note. You know, doesn't sound as refined. It does. The engine, the engine stands out. The engine note stands out more just because of the lack of refinement relative to the rest of the car. The rest of the car feels so much better than Corollas of the past that you know that engine note really stands out. You know, that because of the way they're controlling the CVT. Yeah. All right. Well, they can just start playing some different engine notes through the speakers, <laughs> and then it'll be fine. Yeah, I, mean, I think you know if they. You know, maybe if they did something with um, active noise cancellation, noise cancellation in here, yeah. that you know, or just a little bit, you know, more sound deadening material, I think that would probably be fine. Yeah, see, and the noise cancellation too, like that's something that started off as a premium car feature, but it's not actually expensive to do. Like every car has a microphone in it now um, because of the the hands free stuff, and every car has an audio system. And everything's all networked together. It doesn't seem like it's that difficult to sample the noise, flip it out of phase, and play it back. Like that's just shouldn't you know, be it's basically just some extra software and the body controller, and all you need. You pretty much yeah. got all the hardware there already. Yeah. So and it, like it's not, it's not even like they have to develop difficult code. It's just <laughs> it's it's all there. You know. So I would assume that that's actually something that. Uh, would be coming or, or really easy to implement on any car at any price. Yep. So, all right. Uh, speaking of engine noise, um, last week I had the Cadillac CT5. I Their names still mess with me. <laughs> um, but it was the 550T. Uh, and it's a really, really good car. Like I said last week, it's just, I had a really good, good week with it. Uh, it's, it's a great sedan. It's really comfortable. It's really uh, well thought out. The ergonomics are good. The styling is great. It's roomy. The trunk is good. Um, the infotainment, Cadillac has done a good job. So while we complained about Census and Entune, I have no complaints which, about Q. Which, which, by the way, stands for Cadillac User Experience. So it's, so it's Cadillac, Cadillac User Experience. Yeah. So, and the, I remember the first versions of Q were like really frustrating because they put too much into the screen and it was just... It was gimmicky and this is a lot more refined and streamlined and easy to use. So I liked that quite a bit. And uh, last week, sort of my biggest complaint was the engine note. And I thought it was a little bit overzealous and loud. And after a week with the car, I think that that was um, mistaken. <laughs> uh the engine note is great, especially when you uh, get on the engine, which sounds great when you're making it work hard, and it'll give you a little, you know, snap at the, you know, every shift. The transmission shifts quickly. It will hold the gears in manual mode, so uh, you can bounce it off the rev limiter if you want, which I I love because when you're in manual mode, it should be fully manual and not shift for you at redline, like. It's a pet peeve, I suppose. Uh, but, it, you know, this is a really good performance sedan. And so I, I really, um, I think Cadillac has has nailed it over the last few, couple of generations of chasing the Germans. They make great BMWs now. And they just need to make great 
crossovers <laughs> and they you know the crossovers they have are good but they're not as good as the sedans and that's that's the issue this is a great car it's just it's the wrong product for them to just like it's it's not their mass product you know it's not their their highest seller and and that's kind of a shame um that they they don't have something quite as as well done in the crossover or suv space right now um not that the XT5, XT4, XT6 are bad. Certainly the Escalade I, is brand new, so I don't have experience with that yet. Um, but I, I just, I don't see a clear analog for the CT5 in their, their crossover lineup, which is where the money is right now. Yeah, you know, that, I drove the CT5 back in August and, uh, you know, I was also really impressed with it. And, and like you say, you know, it's it's one of those you know it's this new generation of Cadillacs you know the CT5 and the CT4 that you know really well executed um, much better so than the um, than the XT4 was and you know to a lesser degree relative to the XT6 you know I think the XT6 is also uh, really well done and, <clears throat> but they you know they they need to kind of hit that same level of excellence and refinement with the xt4 and the xt5 that they did with the ct4 and ct5 and i think you know the the, C, the xt5 i think was probably the the next gas engined uh cadillac next generation next new gas engine cadillac we'll see you know probably in another year or two um and it may well you know maybe may well be you know one of the last gas engine cadillacs we see you know they're they're moving aggressively towards electrification um, you know, by early part of 2022, we're going to see the, the Lyric, um, you know, which is going to be their first EV, that EV crossover. Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe the Lyric will even replace the, the CT, the, the XT5 in the lineup. Um, you know, and I think when, you know, when that one launches, I think that's going to really, that's, that's going to be the make or break for Cadillac as a brand. You know, they, they need to hit it out of the park with that one. Yeah, and it must be frustrating to be inside Cadillac and hear us say stuff because I'm sure they listen. Because I mean, who who doesn't? <laughs> but uh, it must be frustrating to them to hear us say things like, "Well, you know, their their crossover lineup is lacking right now." When I'm, there's stuff coming, and then just it's just like just you just wait. You know, it's almost like the the wait till next year kind of thing for sports teams. Like we're we're almost there. Just great stuff coming. No, I can't talk about it, <laughs> but you'll see it very soon. And I feel like that's sort of where we are with Cadillac. I'm sure that the the next step is going to be good stuff. I just I want them to get there. Yeah. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've been waiting a long time uh, for the Bronco and the Bronco Sport. Going to have to wait a little longer for the Bronco. Yeah, the the, the big Bronco uh, got pushed back a few months, uh, so it's going to launch in the summer now instead of the spring. They had some COVID-related uh, supplier uh, issues uh, that pushed back the launch of that. Uh, but the Bronco Sport is shipping now. It's it's available. They, in fact, in their uh, November sales report, they delivered 22 Bronco sports. So the first, the first truck, couple of truckloads, uh, have, have hit customers. Um, and I think, you know, in December we'll see a whole bunch more. Um, it, the, it, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, how Ford, you know, has split their compact crossover, uh, lineup, uh, with this generation, you know, in the past they had one compact crossover with the escape, you know, that tried to be everything, you know, in that size segment. And this year, you know, or this time around, they split it into two fairly dis- surprisingly distinct vehicles off the same architecture that are each one is more focused on a particular part of the a particular part of the market. You know, the Escape is much more car-like than it was before. You know, it's really more like a tall focus now. Um and then they did the Bronco Sport, you know, as part of the Bronco, larger Bronco family. But, you know, it's the, the more rugged, off-road oriented version, uh, you know, with from the same architecture. But, you know, as soon as I got on the road with this thing, you know, I almost immediately realized how different it actually feels from the, uh, from the Escape. You know, it's, it's actually got a slightly shorter wheelbase. It's about an inch, inch and a half shorter wheelbase than an Escape. You know, it's, it's about five inches shorter overall than an Escape, five or six inches shorter overall, uh, and about four inches taller and has, you know, the base version, you know, has about an extra inch, inch and a half of ground clearance relative to an Escape. Uh, and then, you know, more if you get uh, um, like the Badlands version with the big 29-inch wheels on it. Um, you know, it also looks totally different from an escape. It looks nothing like an escape. It's much more, you know, the little brother to the big Bronco. You know, it's got those, those Bronco cues with the round headlamps and, you know, the horizontal grill, the Bronco, uh, the name Bronco in the grill. Um, and you know, it's, it's taller than, you know, it's got a taller roof line than the escape. Uh, you know, less less sleek looking, more upright windshield. Which is uh, great. boxy but good. Yeah, and I guess that's and, it. Does look great, right? And and you know, as as we talked, uh, you know, uh, during the summer when they did the preview of the Bronco and Bronco Sport, uh, when I talked to uh, some of the designers, and we'll put a link to uh, 
that episode uh, in the show notes. Uh, you know, had an interview there where they talked about you know some of the things they did with the interior design. Uh, part of you know one of one of the things with the Bronco Sport, you know, it's got this stepped roof. You know, kind of like the the Land Rover Discovery had for many years. Uh, and the reason why is you know they they looked at how people wanted to use a vehicle like this. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of customers that you know would want a vehicle like this, you know, want to take their mountain bikes, you know, and, and use the Bronco to get them out to the trailhead, and and then you know, th- but they don't want to leave their expensive mountain bikes, you know, on a rack, you know, on a, on a rack on the outside of the vehicle. They want to put them inside, so they raise they raise the roof line enough so that you can actually put the bikes inside, you know, and one of the accessories you can get is this Yakima bike rack that goes that mounts on the inside you fold the seat back seats down and you can put two mountain bikes inside the vehicle you know it's also got things like you know when you open the tailgate you know there's a couple of led flood lamps in there so you know your campsite you can open up the tailgate and you know have light there um it's got uh they've got they've returned uh to the separate glass on the tailgate so you can open up the, the rear window separately from the rest of the tailgate so you know, if you've got a surfboard that you want to hang out the back or something like that, you know, you can have that hanging out the back. Just leave the rear glass open, but have the or tailgate. Or a disobedient down. child. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, a lot of a lot of really nice details. Um, you know, it's you know, tons of headroom inside because of that extra tall roof. Um, driving it, you know, it does. Even though it has the exact same engines, the one point five liter three cylinder EcoBoost uh, and the two liter. Um, it feels distinctly different, um, overall on the road from the, uh, from the escape, you know, it's, it's a little bit taller. It's got a little more wheel travel, you know, same, same basic, same layout of the suspension struts in the front a multi-link setup in the back. Uh, but you know, a lot, a lot of the parts are actually different and, you know, uh, it rides, it rides well. No, no complaints about the ride. You know, the drive route we had, you know, was a mix of, uh, you know, highway and uh, suburban roads and some city streets uh, and also, you know, some unpaved gravel roads, um, you know, through uh, through some uh, rural areas, uh, you know, around northern Oakland County here in Michigan. Uh, and, you know, it was, you know, it was great to drive um, for the most part. Um, not much in the way of steering feel. Um, even less, you know, less so than the escape, you know, the steering kind of felt, uh, over boosted and, you know, there was not really much in the way of feedback. Um, and, but it, it, the other thing is it also sounded, it was louder inside than the escape mm. was, uh, you know, no, it felt noticeably louder. I mean, I, I hard to say for sure without driving them back to back, but I, I, I don't seem to recall the escape being quite this loud inside. Um, you know, it, it wasn't cacophonous. But it is was, it like wind noise and road noise, or is it engine more noise? more road noise? Uh, not yeah. so much wind noise. You know, just you know, it seemed like there was less sound insulation in it than you would find in an escape. Um, so uh, there's that, and also you know the materials. Um, you know, more hard plastics on the inside of the Bronco Sport, and you know, so it it doesn't it doesn't feel quite a, it doesn't feel as premium as as an escape does. Um, which, you know, actually, you know, may be fine. I know, you know, there's been in some of the reviews, there's some complaints about that. I think, you know, given the, the nature of, you know, the type of vehicle this is, the use case, uh, you know, you, you want, you know, durable materials inside there. 
Um, you know, the, the Bronco Sport, unlike the big Bronco, doesn't have removable doors uh, or, you know, removable roof. But it, it definitely, um, you know, it definitely feels a bit more utilitarian than the Escape does, uh, which, as I said, is not, not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it, it, it's just, you know, it's a different kind of feel to it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a good, you know, I think for what it's designed to be, I think it's really good. You know, I think it executes really well. You know, we also got a chance to drive it, you know, at the uh, Holly Oaks ORV park, you know, where they've got all kinds of trails and different kinds of surfaces doing some rock crawling and, you know, going up really steep, you know, like 20%, uh, grades, um, we also got a chance to drive it, you know, on a deep sand autocross. Uh, one of the features they have on the, the Bronco Sport is it's got uh, twin clutch um, rear axle, uh, which is uh, basically the same as the setup that was in the, the last Focus RS that they used. You know, they had the twin clutch control on the rear axle. I think it was a Haldex rear axle um, that, you know, they were able to use use that to enable drift mode. In the uh, in the Focus RS, can you get drift mode in the Bronco Sport? Um, kind of, uh, <laughs> kind you know, it's obviously you know it's calibrated completely differently, you know, yeah, for off road control. Uh, but you know, in the you know when you put it in the deep sand mode, you know, so it's got the the different drive modes, uh, trail modes um, that you find on you know Ford's off road vehicles. When you put it in deep sand mode, uh, you know, when you're in the sand, you know, if you get on the gas as you're turning you can get the back end to come around, you know, so you can, you can make it oversteer, you know, it's not quite like drifting, but you can, you can have a lot of fun with this thing. It was, <laughs> it was, it was a good time playing with this thing in the sand. Uh, but, you know, also, you know, climbing up, uh, you know, uh, you can uh, forward through, I think, 29 inches of water uh, with it, uh, you know, climbing up steep grades, uh, you know, going around uh, corners. Uh, one of the nice things is, you know, it's got, uh, you can keep the, the surround view cameras on at speeds up to about 10 miles an hour. So when you're maneuvering through a tight trail uh, and you want to see what's around you or, you know, when you come up to the crest of a hill and you want to see what's on the other side of that, you know, because your nose is pointing up and you can't, can't see what's, what's on the other side of that, you can have the, the camera on so you can see the other side before you go down the hill again, uh, which is really, really handy to have. Um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of nice little features like that. So, you know, if, if what you want is something that is escape sized, but much more off-road capable, um, the, you know, and has that, you know, has the ground clearance and the ability to, you know, go almost anywhere. Um, you know, I think this is a really interesting alternative to, you know, it, probably its closest direct competitor would be the Jeep Compass Trailhawk. Um, uh, you know, yeah. I think, you know, from an off-road capability standpoint, I think they're pretty similar. Um, I think, you know, the the Bronco Sport has some advantages over the Trailhawk, um, especially, you know, in terms of the form factor. You know, the, the Compass is, you know, it's a lower roof line. It's a little bit sleeker looking. Um, but that means that you can't do things like, you know, put bikes inside the, the vehicle. Um, you know, you don't have as, as much height from the floor to the roof in the, the cargo area of the compass. Um, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a different kind of feel. So depending on, you know, what you want to do with it, you know, what sort of things you like to do outdoors, you know, it, it, the Bronco sport might be a better choice for you. Yeah. I think too, 
they have really carefully threaded the needle with the Bronco Sport between being just that stylish, compact crossover slash SUV that is never going to see dirt and being also capable. And there's a lot of different models that you can select from. So if you want one, if you know you're never going to go off-road, but you want the, the squared off styling, it's friendly looking. It has some functional uh, benefits. Uh, and you know you're only going to drive it into the, in the city. That's fine. There, there's one for you. You know, then there's the more luxurious versions. They, they really have a, a pretty big spread, and they've done a really good job making sure that it's going to live up to the expectations of the owners. Yeah, um, yeah, it's clearly very capable, and they haven't worked real hard to separate it from the big Bronco on purpose, which again I think is is smart. You know, I was talking with a friend the other day who loves Wranglers, and he was trying to find the right Bronco for, you know, to, to lust after for a while. And you should check out the Bronco sport right now. He drives a GTI. Um, and just, you know, as with the Wrangler, the big Bronco is, is probably it's overkill for most people, the way they're going to use it. And, you know, the Wrangler is one of those things like I get my fix, you know, I spend a week with it. I'm like, that's, that's cool. That's enough. It's a Wrangler. Yeah, that's enough. And that's me personally. Um, so I'm not knocking sort of daily driving a Wrangler. Um, but I think that, you know, something like the Bronco Sport or the the Compass, you know, the Compass seems more like a Grand Cherokee in a lot of ways. But the, something like that, the smaller form, but still has the charm of the big guns. There's a real place for that. This is definitely going to be the Bronco that we see the most of. Um, and I, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's bad. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's, it's a good point you make, you know, that that's actually a good comparison. You know, the compass is more, much more like a, a baby grand Cherokee. You know, it's got, it's got the full off-road capability, you know, in the Trailhawk version that you would get with, um, you know, with any other Jeep. Um, but it is, you know, it's very much a different form factor, uh, even though, you know, it's footprint is about almost the same as the Bronco sport. And one other thing too, you know, like the compass, you know, it, 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 you know, the base version of the compass is front wheel drive. Uh, yep. So, you know, it's designed, you know, to cover a wider spread, you know, from, you know, that kind of daily driver, you know, suburban commuter vehicle, you know, all the way to the Trailhawk, you know, as the, the off-road capable vehicle with the Bronco sport. Um, even the, every Bronco sport, 100% of Bronco sports, have four wheel drive, not all wheel drive, but four wheel drive. And there's a, there's an important distinction there. So all wheel drive vehicles, you know, all wheel drive systems are, you know, primarily two wheel drive and, you know, they, uh, they have some mechanism, you know, whether it's a viscous coupling or a clutch system that will redirect some portion of the torque to the rear wheels on demand. Um, you know, so, and it, in most cases, like on the escape, I think it's limited to about 10 or 15% of the torque going to the rear axle, um, you know, and then, you know, 85, 90% for the front, the Bronco sport, it's always a 50, 50 torque split front to rear hundred percent of the time. So it's never a two wheel drive vehicle. It's always four wheel drive full time. Um, you know, and then it's, it's got the, the clutches, you know, that can, um, lock the, uh, the rear differential or, you know, do the torque vectoring on the rear, um, to, um, you know, help you get around and get through 
um, rough terrain. Um, it doesn't have uh, a four-wheel drive low mode like the Compass Trailhawk does. Uh, the Compass Trailhawk actually in four-wheel drive low has a slightly uh, lower crawl ratio. I think it's about 20 to 1 versus 18 to 1 uh, in the Bronco Sport. So there might be a few places where the Bronco or the Jeep might be able to go you know, or get out of that the Bronco might not. Um, but overall, I mean, they're, they're, they're close enough that it doesn't, I don't think it's really going to matter to almost anybody. If you um, get into a situation where you need a low range, you're, you probably need the big Bronco anyway. Yeah. You, you probably either that or you're very experienced and you'll get out anyway. Yeah. You know, like either of the two, you're either in trouble or you're fine. <laughs> oh, one, one of the, uh, other really nice features that they have on the Bronco Sport. It's, it's also on the the big Bronco, um, and it's I think it's also available on the F one fifty and the Ranger is uh, trail control, which is basically a, a cruise control, a special cruise control mode for you know off roading, and you know you set the speed you know in trail control mode you know up to up to twenty miles an hour um, is the max, and once you get above twenty you know it disengages. And it will maintain your speed, you know, going uphill and downhill and, you know, whatever surfaces. So, you know, if you're, you know, if you're on some undulating terrain, you can focus on just steering, you know, making sure, you know, watching where you're going and, you know, avoiding the, the biggest boulders uh, and it will manage your speed. So it'll do acceleration and braking and just hold your, hold your constant speed as you're traversing those trails. Um, and so, when we were driving it, you know, I, you know, driving it up a 20 degree hill, uh, or up, up a 20% grade, you know, across the trail, across the ridge, and then back down a 21% grade, you know, and I didn't even touch the brake pedal or the accelerator, you know, I just let it go and it controlled my speed all the way down. Uh, you know, kept it to about, uh, like nine or 10 miles an hour all the way down. And it was, it was great and very much easier to drive that way. Yeah. I mean, off-road cruise control was going to get us, uh, It'll probably get you further without getting you stuck than uh, yeah. <laughs> trying to do it yourself. A lot of times, I, I it's a it's you know the Bronco team is just they've worked really hard, and I can't wait to start seeing these things in traffic and stuff. Just they're I I like square vehicles, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it's just you know it's it's a really cool product, and I'm I'm glad that we're we're just about there to start to see all of them hit the market. Um, you know, I think 2021 is the Bronco and the Bronco Sport are going to be a bright spot. So, yeah, um, no, absolutely. I think it's I think it's going to be a big hit for Ford. Uh, you know, the, the base Bronco Sport starts at uh, just under 27 grand. Um, the Badlands, the top end Badlands starts at 33. Uh, and, uh, you know, then you can add all kinds of accessories to it. They've got all kinds of stuff that they've worked with, you know, companies like Yakima and a bunch of others uh, to have. You know, uh, like the, for the Bronco Sport, I think there's over a hundred different accessories available from from uh, start of production. So yeah, well, that's really important too with um, any of these cars because they're kind of lifestyle cars. Mm -hmm. The uh, factory accessories that just re work really well with the vehicle integrate really nicely. They're easy to use. They're available right from the dealer. You don't have to shop around with your local whatever or find them online and try to figure out which pieces go with which parts. Uh, all that's really important to make it work for your lifestyle and work for the way you want to use it. So the accessories are a big part of it that I, I think 
get overlooked um, for most cars, but for something in this niche or, you know, like the Wrangler or, you know, the, the Subaru stuff, there, there tends to be a lot of accessories for Subaru as well that expand the capabilities and match the capabilities to the way you're going to use it. That's really important. Yeah. I mean, one one of the, you know, they've got a, a tent system, a rooftop tent that you can get for this thing that attaches to the roof rails. And also, you know, the roof rails are also standard on here. Um, so you can mount this tent up there, pop it up and, you know, comes with a ladder and everything. So you can sleep up there. The bears oh. will come eat you. It's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they'll have to <laughs> climb up and you know climb up the ladder to get you. I bears. I they're good climbers. I know. Yeah, they don't. I don't. Th- if you were a meal, they're gonna get you. <laughs> I think. I think bear. bear yeah, yeah, yeah. Bears. This probably isn't gonna stop. But you know, things like snakes and you know other yeah. ground dwelling yeah. creatures. You know, keep you safe from them. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. I. I mean, I'd camp in it. That's fine. Yeah. There are worse ways to go than eaten by a bear. <laughs> it seems like. Um, Uber is giving up on self-driving cars, among other things. They seem to be giving up on a lot lately, um, but they sold off their division. Yeah. So the, over the, the past year or so, actually, yeah, yeah, past year or so, even before the pandemic started, um, Uber has been getting out of some of the business areas that it had expanded into, uh, like it's, it's micromobility service, the bikes, you know, they sold that off to Lime, I think. Yeah, I think that's track right. Yeah, they sold they sold the the jump bikes off to Lime, um, and uh, the scooters. Um, they um, are in the process of selling off Uber Elevate, their urban air mobility division, to uh, Joby, which is a startup that's building an urban air mobility vehicle. Um, and uh, this past week, they uh, announced that they were selling off. Um, the Advanced Technology Group, which is the group that was developing their automated driving system, to Aurora, uh, which is kind of kind of interesting. Um, Aurora is the company that started a few years ago by Chris Ermson, Sterling Anderson, and uh, Drew Bagnell. Um, Drew was formerly with Uber ATG. Um, Sterling Anderson was the uh, head of the original head of the autopilot program at Tesla. Uh, left there uh, to join up with Chris and Drew for, at Uber. And uh, Chris uh, was the head of the Google self-driving program from 2009 up until 2016. Um, before that, he uh, led the uh, Carnegie Mellon team that won the DARPA Urban Challenge in 2007. So his his background with self-driving goes back to 2003, the, at the, the very beginnings of the uh, the DARPA Grand Challenge program. Is that the same team that spun out um, Argo as well? Um, so Argo, uh, Chris or um, Brian Seleski, who's the CEO at Argo, worked. Yes, he worked. Uh, he was the head of the software team at Carnegie Mellon, and he worked with Chris. And then later, uh, he also worked with Chris at Waymo or you know, at Google uh, before leaving there to form Argo. Um, so yeah, there's been. A lot of the alumni of the uh, the Carnegie Mellon program, you know, are at various companies in the automated driving space, including at ATG. Right, uh, it's like their it's their equivalent of the Xerox Park. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 estimated that um, Uber has spent uh, well over two and a half billion dollars on ATG over the last several years. You know, when they started it back in 2015, uh, Travis Kalanick, when he was still CEO at Uber. 
you know, he talked about autonomous vehicles being an existential threat to Uber's business uh, and decided they had to have their own autonomous vehicles. They, you know, they couldn't rely on anybody else, which I, to be honest, I think was kind of a mistake. I, I don't think that they, I don't think Uber and the same goes for Lyft. I don't think either one of them ever should have been developing their own. I think they should have been working with partners, you know, like Google and, and other companies, um, you know, to, um, Focus, you know, to f- focus on what they do well, which is the dispatch part of it, connecting passengers with vehicles, um, and deploy other people's vehicles on their platform, um, and and that's you know that's what they're doing now. You know, so they're they're selling off, uh, or they sold off uh, ATG to Aurora. What's interesting here is they they tr- they offered it up to a lot of different companies. I know at least a couple of different companies that I've talked to. That said, yeah, they they offered to sell it to us, and we passed on it because um, <laughs> Uber's had, you know, ATG's had a lot of problems. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we know about the fatal crash in Tempe a few couple of years back, um, but even more recently, you know, they have still struggled to really get their system working well, and um, you know, it doesn't work in a lot of environments. And I can understand why a lot of companies would pass on buying ATG because doesn't seem like they actually had much technology that was of much value. Well, I, I think that's so when I look at it from the outside, the whole push for these companies to get into self-driving seems to me like a way to eliminate labor or create um, another product that they could then spin off. And it looks like they've achieved number two. Yeah. Um, is spinning well, it, it off. It, I mean, for, for Uber, you know, it was very much a way to eliminate labor. You know, they wanted to eliminate the cost of their drivers. But the reason why I say that, you know, they probably never should have bothered doing it themselves in the first place is because even though they eliminate the cost of the drivers, you know, if you look at Uber's business model, it's always been an asset light model because they don't own any vehicles. They don't have to maintain them or, or buy them, you know, or put fuel in them uh, or insure them. And if they, develop their own automated driving system and have their own fleet. Now they've got to buy or build, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of these vehicles and, you know, spend tens of billions of dollars doing that and maintaining them and operating them. And it just doesn't, you know, for a company that doesn't have any experience doing that and, you know, has, has no manufacturing infrastructure or any of that, it never seemed like a good idea for them to be going down this path. Uh, because it, it was not clear how they were actually ever going to make money doing it, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, somebody that's already got factories and knows how to build vehicles and has, oh, let's say dealers, you know, that can, that they can rely on to do service and maintenance of their vehicles. You know, um, so it, it never made sense for Uber or Lyft to be in this business, but they did it anyway. And now they're getting out of it. What interestingly, you know, Aurora um, is not paying Uber any money for ATG. They're they're right. They they in fact are getting four hundred million dollars because as part of the deal, uh, Aurora is taking ownership, full ownership of ATG, and Uber is investing another four hundred million dollars into Aurora. So when this is all set, and it's, so it's an all stock deal, uh, Aurora is issuing shares to Uber, to ATG's shareholders, which are Uber, and then their minority shareholders, which are Toyota, Denso, and SoftBank. 
And so Uber is going to end up when this is all done, owning about 26% of Aurora. Um, and, uh, and then minority, other minority shares for Toyota and Denso. And I think, <laughs> do you think that's going to be the only way Uber's going to make any money is the shares of another company? Probably. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the other thing is, you know, or ATG has got over a thousand employees. They don't really seem to have any technology that's of huge value to Aurora. My guess is that, you know, and and the other thing is Aurora, you know, we, we've all heard about what the toxic environment is like at Uber over the years. You know, Aurora's core values, you know, include things like no jerks, you know, and setting reasonable goals. And this is kind of the antithesis of what Uber has always been about. So, yeah, I mean, you've I got mean, two very different corporate cultures there. But there's like, so this is... Those are statements. Sure. Like didn't didn't Google have the don't be evil thing? And like clearly yeah, when you look at like but, that's gone by the wayside for fifteen years now, at least. I mean it's it's yes. Um I just hope that the the culture at Aurora is more evolved than Uber's culture of one particular kind of person and to the exclusion of other voices that are important to listen to. Yeah, no, and and I think that that's that's true, you know, and and having you know having spent time with you know some of the people at Aurora like Chris and and Sterling, um, you know, they and and you know having talked to a lot of people that know them and how they operate, you know, I I believe that this is at least for now anyway, this is the way Aurora really operates. You know, they you know their their core, their core values that they have listed on their website operate with integrity. No jerks, set outrageous goals, focus, be reasonable, and win together. You know, and this, from all I've heard, you know, this is really the way Aurora operates. And so I think that um, it's going to be challenging to integrate a lot of the ATG people into this kind of culture. And my guess is a lot of the ATG people are going to end up leaving, which probably won't bother Aurora all that much. Um, you know, I think that for them, I think that the, the, you know, probably the more important thing was to develop the relationships with Uber, you know, as a place to deploy their vehicles, um, and with Toyota and with Denso, you know, Denso being a major supplier, uh, you know, to manufacture LIDAR sensors for, for them, uh, cause they're developing, Aurora's developing their own LIDAR, um, and, uh, you know, they can work with Toyota, you know, to get vehicles. So I think that this, you know, if they, as long as they, you know, don't try to have, have too many of the, or too much of the ATG team stay behind, you know, which is going to raise their costs, then I think that uh, this could work out uh, okay for Aurora. We'll see. Yeah. I, I don't anticipate that any of the work on, on autonomous driving is going to stop. But I, I think that the volume of companies that got into it is is going to shrink. That's oh, a super absolutely. obvious thing to say. So yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not I'm not breaking any ground with my observation. Yeah, I mean, we we've already seen a lot of consolidation. You know, a bunch of the companies have have gone already gone by the wayside, and and we're going to see more go away over the next year or two, um, just because you know this is a really hard problem to do. It's it's not it's not nearly as trivial as Elon Musk would like to have people believe it is. No, but I also wonder if because of that 
you know, high level of complexity, it's, you know, the, the concern is that it's like never going to get there. And I don't think that that's wrong. Um, I just wonder when the companies in this space decide like, you know what, we can get you 99.5% of the way there, but that final 0.5 is just never going to happen. And right. then what do they do? And, that, and that's why, you know, we may never have, you know, true level five vehicles that can, that can drive everywhere, you know, anytime under any conditions, you know, it's, they're always going to be restricted to, you know, either some geographic location or, you know, operating in certain weather conditions or, you know, whatever criteria it is, there's always going to be some limitations on it, or at least for the, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing that I, I think is sort of a blind spot for even those of us covering it is there's so much um, focus on like personal vehicles being autonomous or, you know, like, like these, you know, like an Uber fleet vehicle being autonomous, but in terms of its application to, you know, delivery fleets or within um, cargo yards or, or shipping yards uh, or a, like a transit application, there's a lot of places where this, this stuff can work really, really well that I know that there's work going on there, but we only seem to focus on. Well, and like, that, that's actually what Aurora is focused on now. They're right. They're the first thing that they plan to deploy commercially is long haul trucking. Um, oh well, yeah. and, then, and then yeah, and then <laughs> long haul well, might be interesting too. Like, <laughs> okay, well, you know, it, it's it's a different problem set. You know, it's not necessarily easier, but it's a different problem set, and it, it's something they think that they can get to sooner than robo taxis. And you know, that I think that may well be the case. You know, I mean, if you think about you know where trucks are operating, you know, on a highway, you know, you don't have intersections, you don't have traffic signals to deal with relatively few pedestrians on interstates. Uh, you hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's in, in, you know, it does have other challenges, you know, obviously, you know, 40 ton trucks at 65, 70 miles an hour take a lot longer to stop. So you've got to be able to sense a lot farther down the road, but it's, you know, so it's a different problem set, but um, you know, it's one that maybe, you know, maybe they can make work and, and have the economics work out better for them in the short term. Yeah, well, I mean, the reason why the economics would work out better for them is because there's there's companies that would invest in it, you know, on a on regular basis, they'd make a large purchase. So it wouldn't be just one and it wouldn't be just, you know, 12 years in between. It would be a few hundred and, you know, three years. And then they'd expand from from there. You know, I'm thinking of like large, you know, trucking fleets. The problem comes back to, though, it's the same problem that Uber has labor is the real loser and truck drivers are already sort of under incredible pressure with electronic logs now and stuff too. The industry is not the sort of freewheeling smoky in the bandit kind of outlaw trucking thing um, that you may think of it still as, you know, as it was portrayed in the seventies. Uh, it's a really skin flint industry. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. been, like it's been bled. Uh, real dry, and the the people who lost the most really from that are are the uh, the drivers, and so, I, like I'm I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think you're right that you know if you say we can make an incremental change, um, you know if we restrict this stuff to you know interstate, I'm trying to think of like the the interstate that is south further you know south enough to go across from you know California to Florida, 
I, um, I 10, I think. Yeah. I was going to say, if you restrict it to, you know, close enough to the equator, so it's going to render rain, but not snow. Um, you can, you can probably work the weather out of the equation and then you can figure out how to do, you know, drop off some pickups. Uh, so where does it leave the trailer? Uh, those don't, it doesn't have to go into town for that. You know, there's, there's probably some facility on the highway, either a rest stop or a way station that you could use as that sort of, um, point delivery point, um, at least in the short term. Um, and, and then use just a normal human driver to get it around in those much tougher situations. So, and yeah, I, and, and that's I, likely, you know, what it'll be, you know, is, is a, a mix, you know, of human and automated driving in the, in the near term. Yeah. I, and I'm still just curious, like what, why is everybody's, um, ideal for this? Uh, like the idea of like, Oh, you can kick back and read the paper in the car while the car does the thing. Like, I, I can't, no, I can't do that. A, I get motion sickness. B like, that's not what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, so well, I'm, I'm sure that Aurora seems to be a you know, more tightly managed, better run company than Uber. Not that they haven't been trying at Uber, but, uh, it's pushing the rock up the hill yeah. <laughs> at that company. So uh, I think they'll probably have more success with it or maybe a clearer vision. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Let's wrap up with uh, a, a listener email from uh, Bryn Barenhausen. Uh, Bryn asks, loves the show. Wanted to get your thoughts on why Toyota lags so far behind in tech compared to other makers. Their safety tech is great but their infotainment and instrument clusters feel ancient compared to the stuff coming from Hyundai and Kia. We have three Toyotas, an 06 Sienna, a 12 Prius, and just got a 20 RAV4 hybrid. My wife started working for a Toyota dealer this year, and I'm looking for looking to replace my Prius in the next year, but I have no idea what I'm going to do. I really love the Mark 8 Golf, but they're not bringing a non-GTI version, let alone a hybrid stateside. Um, and from what I hear... And I'm not a fan of the current Prius, and the Corolla Hybrid being only available in one base trim uh, is not doing it for me. I'd love to stick with Toyota, but tech is important to me, and right now it'd be hard to stick with the analog dials and crappy Entune system and small screen. Um, any rumors of a new Entune system or EV platform coming from Toyota? Uh, seems like they've let the Prius age not so gracefully while making the rest of the fleet hybrids but are falling behind as VW, Nissan, and others begin the transition to EVs. Lots of good points. Yep. Um, well, do you know anything about this? the reason why their tech seems so behind? Is it a culture thing? Is it hardware? Or? Uh, I think the hardware, you know, I think is fine. Um, you know, it's, it's right up there with other, you know, other contemporary stuff. But I, th I think it is kind of a culture thing, you know, and I think they – you know, the, the current generation of Antune was a huge step forward from the previous generation. Uh, but, you know, the previous generation was so far behind that, you know, <laughs> that's not saying a whole, I mean, it's a low bar. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, they, they do need to, you know, to get to a next generation. Certainly, you know, the stuff that they have on the new Highlander is better but it's still not great. Um, you know, it, they're, they're moving in the right direction, but they still have work to do. Um, you know, as far as replacements for the, um, for the Prius, uh, yeah, it looks like the Corolla hybrid 
is only available in the LE trim level right now. Um, well, and I think too, the Prius is, is one of those cars that they're, the Corolla hybrid kind of smothers the Prius. Yeah. I think, I think this might be the last generation of Prius that we see in North America. Um, you know, its sales have dropped off to the point where, you know, I think last year they sold about 65,000 Priuses. They sold almost a hundred thousand RAV4 hybrids. Uh, the RAV the RAV four was their best selling hybrid last year, and you know they're selling a lot of hybrids in their other models as well. So, you know if if what you want is a hybrid, um, and you're not enamored with the with the Corolla, excuse me, with the Corolla LE trim, um, there are other options. Uh, you know the uh, the new um, Hyundai Elantra is available as a hybrid now, you know, so that's, you know, in that same size class, you know, if that's something you're interested in, you know, as a C-segment sedan, um, you know, there's, there's also, you know, other crossovers, you know, certainly the RAV4, I mean, you've, you've already got a RAV4, that's a, that's a possibility. Um, there's going to be EVs coming from Toyota eventually, we don't know when, um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're interested in, you know, in an EV, um, I think we'll probably see something in 2021 uh, from Toyota. Uh, they they did recently um, uh, the, a few, earlier this week. They released uh, a teaser uh, sketch of the uh, their next e- a high, uh, an EV crossover that they're going to launch next year. But I'm not sure if that one's coming to North America. I think that one might be only for Europe because um, that that sketch came out of Toyota Europe. And so it might only be for the European market uh, where EVs are much more popular. If they, you know, if they offer that one, we should see that early in the new year, probably sometime in January or February. Um, so that's one to keep an eye out for. Uh, but there's also going to be a bunch of other EVs coming out uh, next year. You've got the, uh, the, the VW ID4, you know, as a compact crossover EV. That's uh, that's launching uh, around the beginning of the year. Um, there's going to be the Hyundai Ionic Five uh, again, compact crossover uh, that's coming out uh, early in the new year. Um, and you know there there will be plenty of other options as well. So you know if if you're interested in EV, you know a battery EV, um, Toyota might not necessarily be your best choice. Yeah, well, and especially if you if you're going that way too, you might you might be looking at leasing like Rebecca says all the time, right? Like consider leasing it. And then that gives you two or three years um, in between, you know, product developments. And that seems like enough time for the next generation of, of new stuff to be there. Um, so that's one way you could consider going. I, I think too, back on the, the idea of uh, the newest golf. Um, if you want to stay Toyota, there's always the Corolla hatch, you know, the, the Corolla, I, what is the Corolla IM, which was the Scion IM back, you know, a few years ago? That's not a bad car. Uh, it it's not as as good as the. It's just the Golf, it's just Corolla but, Hatch now. It's no longer. They dropped the IM. Oh, have they? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a fine. That's a fine car, and it's it can actually be kind of fun to drive. I don't know if you can still get it with the manual. When I drove it, it was the IM, and it did have the manual, and it was it was good. I. I could see it as an alternative to a golf uh, without much of a stretch. So try that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure you can get the, uh, yeah, you can get the uh, Corolla SE hatchback 
uh, with a manual transmission, with a six-speed manual. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's not a Golf, but it doesn't suck either. So that's that's Actually, you can also get the um, the, um, the Corolla Hatchback XSE with a manual. Well, see, that's not also not terrible. Um, it'll have the nicer seats or nicer upholstery and be a little more fancy. <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, I think we, we kind of we answered that as best we could. Uh, we did have one other question that we didn't get to the last time we recorded. Um, just real quickly from Chris Fernandez on Twitter. Uh, your verdict on the controversial BMW grills, folly or ahead of their time like the bangle butt? Folly. <laughs> folly, really? The the bangle butt also, you know, eventually faded away as well. So I, I think the 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 original bangle sort of the bustle back look of that seven series from what was it, two thousand two? Not good. No. <laughs> It took them a few tries to to make that sort of figure out how to make that stick. And that's that's good in the sense that you do want to push design in different directions. Um I'm I'm glad that they did it. I didn't like it. Uh I liked what happened later once they figured it out and refined it. Um, you know, the E60 looks great. Uh, but that that first seven series, that that big shift from uh what was it, E thirty eight to E I don't even I don't even know. Um, that was not good. Um, and I think the grills are kind of the same way. The large grills look great on the X7. Um, I don't but it's mind also, them. But it's also a large vehicle. Right. They're so scale-wise, I think they work. Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily mind them on the 4 Series either, but I, I'm maybe one of the few. <laughs> like, I think they look good from certain angles, but BMW designs in the last five years have gotten really busy. They're not as clean as they had once been. There's lots of just stray lines and strakes and elements. And they're, they're not as um, restrained. And, and I, I'm, so I'm struggling with that overall, but I don't, I don't think the grills look terrible in all cases. I think there are a couple of spots where they, they don't look good. And the idea of where you're going to put the license plate does make them, it, it it does seem like you didn't really think this through. See, that's a good reason to live in Michigan, plates. so you don't have to deal with the front license plates. Oh, you don't have front plates in Michigan? Nope. Um, yeah, and there's certainly, it's an opportunity for the aftermarket. There's all kinds of little kits where you can mount them off to the side and stuff. But yeah, um, so I wish I wish Rebecca was here to, to break the tie. Um, <laughs> I don't really care. I think they, they can be fine. They cannot be fine. It just depends on the model. But uh, it sounds like you're more solidly <laughs> opposed very much so especially on the ix where you know as an ev it just it looks ridiculous yeah evs don't need grills yeah um even if they have heat exchangers you just need little tiny grills um so, all right well good we have knocked down another podcast episode we'll be back with another one real shortly and in the meantime uh let us know what your thoughts are you know where to find us on social media or at uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media and we'll see everybody next time thanks bye you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.